This episode of Overtired is brought to you by Backblaze. Over 150 petabytes of data have been backed up by Backblaze. Backblaze is a company founded by ex-Apple engineers. But don't worry, Backblaze works on Macs and PCs, for yourself, for loved ones, or for friends that are looking for a backup solution. There are no add-ons, gimmicks, or additional charges. It's just $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled backup. Stop putting it off by going to backblaze.com overtired to support the show. Anybody can back up your data, but what about getting it back? They've restored over 10 billion files for their customers at Backblaze, and you can access your data anywhere. The iPhone and Android apps give you access and sharing ability for all of your files. It's not just for computer disasters. You can restore one file, all your files, doesn't matter. It's easy with the web restore, and 25% of their restores are just one file. If you need everything back, you can order a USB hard drive with everything on it. Get a risk-free, no credit card required trial by going to backblaze.com overtired. This episode of Overtired was recorded live during a Taylor Swift-related media event. Tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired on ESN where we cover everything from Objective-C to the OC, from Swift to Taylor Swift. We're here with geek and pop culture you can lose sleep over. How are you doing, Brett? I am good. How are you, Christina? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's now been, I guess, like almost two weeks since uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference, WWDC, ended, and I feel like I'm finally recovered. Well, that's good. We took a, we took a week off for the occasion because you were actually there. I was. I was. Last year, we were both there, but this year, it was just me. Um, this is the first I, time in six years I haven't been there. Wow. I was bummed. I was going to say, yeah. And and the reason that um, we've been kind of going back and forth on our opening for our show, if we should include, you know, the from Objective-C to the OC, from Swift to Taylor Swift line. But they mentioned, they said from Swift to Taylor Swift uh, during the keynote. Um, and even though I know that had nothing to do with us, I still felt like that was a personal shout out. Maybe. And then Taylor Swift uh, said, uh, maybe not. Maybe well, not. she was like, well, she's like, you know, you can have all my past albums, Apple Music, but if you want 1989, then you've got to like not not pay us during the three month trial. I can totally appreciate that. I don't do I any too. work for free anymore. No, totally. I mean, and in fairness, it's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately, this is kind of something Apple does where, you know, if you if you're part of the app store for like the free, you know, app of the week promo or whatever, like you don't get paid for any of those apps that are downloaded during that week period of time. It's not like Apple's like, oh, we're just going to give you money that you would have gotten instead. It's like you make a marketing effort to put those apps out for free and get exposure in the app store. And that I can actually understand because that's a marketing expense that you're basically saying, okay, we, I will forego this week of revenue in exchange for this publicity. And and if they're in-app purchases, then those aren't included, and that's fine. But I feel like, like something with Apple Music where I do think it's actually brilliant that Apple is doing the three-month free trial because it's going to get a lot of people, I think, um, addicted to the idea of, of streaming, especially if they are not already a Spotify or RDO subscriber. Um, I, I think it's a really smart idea. I do think it's kind of crappy to be like, hey, artists, um, we're not going to pay you for that three months. Well, because Taylor Swift doesn't exactly need uh, marketing exposure. It's no. really only beneficial to Apple. It should be right. their marketing expense. 
Totally. Well, exactly. And and the thing is, she was saying, look, this is not the complaints of a petulant child. And people are still like, stop complaining. You get enough money. She made it very clear. <laughs> this is not about me. This is for the, the songwriters and, and, and producers and, and artists that aren't me. Right. Well, um, the design industry used to be very much around, uh, based around spec work. Like you did, yes. you know, you did demo work for to get a job. And there was a big movement movement against that. And it wasn't no because spec. the biggest houses couldn't afford to do the spec work. It was because their willingness to do the spec work meant that younger freelancer designers also had to do it when they could be making money and right. a lot of them went out of business. So it makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, and the spec work thing was was slightly different, I think, only in the fact that, you know, um, when we started seeing things like 99designs and some of those other like crowd, mm-hmm. you know, kind of campaigns where you were basically pitching against like 50 other people and a lot of those people might be living in countries where the cost of living is considerably less and you're showing your final product and then they're picking one and then they'll pay the winner. But yeah. they could maybe take ideas from others. Whereas at least traditional agency work, yes, it's spec. But if you got to a certain place with the agency, you would get paid regardless. You get paid for your pitch regardless. You know, you show up, they're going to give you a fee. If you get the contract, it's obviously more. But it's not but, – but, you know, it's a slightly different thing versus let's put it all out in the open for everybody to see. And, yes, but you know you're right. But yeah, but you're right. There was this big no spec movement, and, and a lot of that you know has kind of um, changed things. And I think that for music, especially, I mean, I think it's totally fair for artists to say, you know, we're great if you want to have a three month free trial for Apple Music. And again, I think that that is one of the smartest things Apple could do for Apple Music, especially as they ramp up. Um, but don't expect artists, especially independent artists, to be happy about the fact that you know, they're not going to be getting the royalties for, for that three-month period of time, especially when those royalties, I mean, the amount of money that Apple is, is, would, would be saving is minuscule. Yeah. Because it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I do. I do. And I, I'm, not, I'm not upset with Taylor Swift about that. I wouldn't be upset with anyone for that. No, no. But I also think it's interesting that when I talked to Big Machine on Friday, they didn't say anything about that being the rationale why 1989 wasn't going to be on Apple Music. They made it seem like, well, this is part of the windowing process because it's not on audio, it's not on title, it's not on Rhapsody, it's not on any of these other services. And in fact, past, you know, releases of, of um, Taylor's albums, you know, it was like a year before Red was available on Spotify. Um, so, it, you know, Red was released in 2012 and it was like 2013 before you could actually listen to it on Spotify. Obviously, now none of her music is on Spotify. But um, I, I think it's, it's really interesting that she made a very clear delineation by saying, I'm withholding this album for this reason. Um, I don't know if that in and of itself is going to cause Apple to change its mind, but I do think that her public persona, her hugeness in the industry, the um, immense amount of, of you know, just attention she can get by being her, well, and, um, and could change I think things. Apple's fear would be then that her statement would influence other artists, not so well, much that it would directly influence Apple, but precisely the fear of more people jumping ship, kind of jumping ship. Yeah, because it's one thing for like the indie UK labels to be like, well, we're not going to do it. OK, well, fine. Yeah. Um, Apple might not care. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, because that labels. would be mutually beneficial then. In right. that case, but in Taylor's case, it's not. But in Taylor's case, it's not. In Taylor's case, she's saying exactly. She's like, look, I'm none of us should have to do our work for free. And like you said, in in her case, she is very much the one who has the upper hand, especially with her new album. You know, it's like she's out there sold out world tour. 
it would make a better marketing case for Apple to be able to say, and we've got 1989 yeah. that you can stream. That would be a much better thing for them to advertise. So, you know, um, no, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's uh, good, good on her for speaking out. I, I like her approach so much better than the title approach, even though the messages are the same, because title came out of the gate, you know, with, with Jay-Z and Kanye and Madonna and all these huge artists making the stand saying artists deserve to get paid, but it read as rich people need more money. Yeah. And I know what their goal was. And I've talked to the title people. And I know what their goal was. And they know that the messaging was completely muddled and that, that it didn't work. Um, but I think that she, by being so clear and concise and being willing to call out the smaller guy and being very upfront saying, this is not about me. This is about other people. Um, because she's so this is what she's so good at she's so good at managing her her own you know like she, she's so freaking good at media management it's crazy like she she should be like she should she should have an mba just based on her life experiences because she's so freaking good at branding and she's so good at spin and she's so good at like crafting a message that it really you know she comes out looking really good speaking of artists and not looking like poor what was me you know poor rich girl you know biggest artist on the planet wants more money because it's like that's that's not the tenor of the conversation the conversation is about artists needing to be paid not taylor swift wanting more money it is intriguing when you look at uh the the kind of history of female artists who have been extremely good at image and business management like back to probably before but the first one in my memory is madonna uh, yeah i think she's really honestly i think she is the first and then uh and lady gaga was yeah. very good at image and perception management and and then Taylor Swift and I'm sure there are tons in between but definitely definitely but I mean you know uh, but yeah I, I mean, can't Madonna, necessarily think of male counterparts to that I mean I think maybe the Beatles to a certain extent I maybe see I I guess I'm I'm concentrating on solo artists because most of the big bands have had very good uh managers like That's external true. Um, and I know that Prince. Madonna and Taylor Swift and all. Yes, Prince. Prince, and when it comes to image management, Prince was in control. Completely. To the point that, I mean, he was able to change his name to a symbol, and yeah, it became a joke, but it didn't hurt. No. You know, it didn't hurt him. It it, it hurt it hurt Universal, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and then he built his own studio and his own company. and Trent yeah. Reznor. Yes, I'll give you that for sure. Um, so Trent, Prince, Madonna, Taylor, Lady Gaga, there aren't many of them. Um, I mean, there are very few that have, I mean, that's the, the one thing I've, I've learned covering kind of the music industry over the years, especially from a digital stint, is how bad most of, most artists are when it comes to uh, like navigating the modern waters of, of even things like social media. Yeah, well, um, there's a reason, there's a delineation between artist and manager generally, because artistic types generally would prefer to have someone make money from their art for them. Sure. <laughs> because both making art and being a business major can be very complex. It can. I just I think it's interesting though that in music there's been so much of a kind of a, a schism whereas you haven't seen that necessarily in film and TV and acting and in other types of personal branding or other creative types even. Where you've seen other artists I think adapt to the digital world way way better than than musicians historically have and even in the in the kind of the modern era have well and the digital world has catered to that though when you look at the 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 ability of a a solo artist recording in his own you know home homemade studio to release nationally without a label 
it couldn't have been done 10 years ago, but it can be easily done now. But a movie, even a web short, you don't see many small people creating successful web shorts. I mean, it happens, but you, it's harder to do any kind of visual media without a studio behind you. Sure. I guess I'm just saying like we've seen kind of like this rise of, of stars and, and of personalities and, and definitely of celebrities who have an artist who have used digital to grow their fan base and, and engage with people and really yeah. kind of take control of their careers. We've seen it from writers. We've seen it from, you know, actors, musicians by and large. And I certainly don't want to say it's all of them, but many of them, you know, my space, they all could kind of figure out and they were on that and they were fine with that. But then when it was like when MySpace started dying and they had to get you had to learn to use Facebook or they had to use to use, learn to use Instagram or anything else, it's like they don't even know where to go. Yeah. And and, and they're still kind of stop, stuck at that point where, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why there's so many YouTube artist success stories. The sad thing about that is most of them just do covers. Yeah. Yeah. Covers and or or things that are actually you know gimmicks. Yeah, get them famous for mildly offensive or or gimmicky reasons. That doesn't last, though. No, it doesn't. I mean, you have some artists who can really come out of that sort of thing. But, I mean, like, Lily Allen really did kind of come from MySpace. So, uh, Colby Carlett or whatever. But, like, there aren't a lot of other artists that have really kind of come up in that era, despite the fact that it's easier than ever to upload your stuff to SoundCloud and, and get things out there. Breaking news on the Taylor Swift Apple Music debacle. Eddie Q, the senior vice president of Internet Software and Services, a.k.a. the dude that oversees what all the stuff underneath Apple Music is, has come forward on Twitter and said, we love you, Taylor. We respect you. Don't worry. Artists will be paid. And uh, he confirmed this in interviews with Billboard and with Peter Kafka of Recode, basically saying Apple, Apple agrees with Taylor Swift and uh, she wins. I think we get credit for this because it happened while we were recording. It did happen while we were recording. I mean, we were literally going on about this and saying, like, like Apple, come on, you've got all this money <laughs> given to this girl. And they must have heard us even though we were recording while it was happening, you know, because Apple's like the NSA. They have, exactly. They have audio things everywhere. Exactly. All right. Well, congratulations, Taylor. Congratulations, Taylor. No, but, but seriously, like the one comment I would make on this is that I think this is a really good move on Apple's part because this does a couple of things. Uh, one, it prevents the entire conversation for the next week being about Taylor Swift and Apple Music. I mean, that'll still be part of it, but it's no longer going to be like every time they want to promote Apple Music, somebody's going to be like, yeah, well, what about the Taylor Swift letter? Do you have any comment on that? Or Taylor Swift's mad at you. What do you think? Yes, it was an appropriate response. It was good. No, I think it's the right thing to do. You know, I mean, she made really, really good points. And uh, I mean, hell, it also shows that 25-year-old uh, female pop star is more powerful than basically any other person in the history of media. Well, maybe not the history, but she's currently the most powerful person in media, period. And there we have it. There we have it. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. So, well, uh, this, you know, spread it up from our, our conversation about WWC, which you were at, and you got a, a, a pretty good interview while you yeah, were there. It was, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. I, um, I had, I, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I had a chance to interview somebody that, I mean, I kind of like, I kind of respect. Kind of important. Uh, uh, kind of important. Kind of important in the realm of, of, of all things Apple and tech and, and whatnot. Uh, no, okay. I'm going to stop now. Um, I interviewed Tim Cook. I spent 15 minutes with Tim Cook. And uh, that was two weeks ago. And I'm still grinning like a freaking schoolgirl. 
that's um, I I am uh, I wouldn't even aspire to ever be noticed by Tim Cook, let alone get to sit down with him. So that is very impressive to me. Yeah, very nice. no. Yeah, um, so I was uh, there. So it, it actually kind of stems from a lot of the things I care about and write about and things you and I have certainly talked about, which is, you know, raising awareness about diversity in tech. And so Apple has for years had the WWDC scholarship program where, you know, students could apply to get a free, you know, uh, room and board and a free ticket to WWDC to, you know, go to the conference and, and learn stuff. But it's only been open to like middle school, high school, and college students. Well, this year they actually opened it up to STEM groups as well so that they could bring in more minorities, um, people of color and, and women and, and other groups typically not um, you know, represented well at WWDC. And so if you were part of various STEM groups, including, you know, Girls Who Code, Black Women Code, actually App Camp for Girls, uh, our, our friends there were, were, were um, one of the STEM groups that were was included. Um, if um, Blacks in Technology, if you're part of one of these STEM groups, you could also apply. And so I um, interviewed a number of, of um, the scholarship winners who were who would come through kind of some of those programs. And I um, talked to, to, to Tim Cook about um, kind of Apple's vision and his vision of diversity and why it matters for Apple as a company and, and why it matters for the tech industry at large. And, um, you know, one of the first things I asked him was, you know, was like, why does this matter for Apple? And, and he was very, very upfront, you know, he said, you know, he, he was unequivocal. He said, it's the future of our company. And he firmly, he seemed at least to me anyway, to firmly believe that. And, and he was saying, you know, look, if you take my personal views, the diversity is the right thing out of this. I firmly believe that diversity leads to better products and leads to the best products being made. And if we're going to continue to make the best products, then we need to have more diverse people working on them. And that doesn't just mean, you know, people, diverse meaning, you know, gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation, but it means worldview. It means like what lens you're looking things through because yeah. that's the only way that the best things can be made. And I thought that was a really good point. He said, you know, even if you take my other aspect out of it, it's just good business sense to be more diverse. Well, and I think um, a lot of people forget to take that other aspect out of it. I mean, really the only argument for diversity, especially in the tech world, is better product. You don't you don't just fight it's it's not affirmative action that people are looking for. It's actually making a better workplace and a better environment for creating great things. Exactly. And if you forget that and you're just like, oh, we need more women here, like it's a headcount thing, then you've missed the point. Right. I mean, I, although I do think it is important to to look at, you know, how many people you do have from different places and just be aware of it. I'm not saying you need to have a quota system, but I'm yeah. saying you need to be aware. You know, if you're because confirmation bias comes into a lot of things. And, and you know, we, we've known this from working around people who are too much like us. You kind of get into bubbles and you think everybody's like you. And it can take working with somebody who's not like you. I mean, I know even as a writer, that's really important for me to get feedback from people who don't agree with me or for, who see things differently. Because that can be really instructive for how I'm approaching things. Yeah. Or And I know as a software developer um, and, and a writer and a maker, that's how you feel too. Yes, Absolutely. Um, but he was, it, we had a great talk. We talked for about 15 minutes. Um, and he, um, he made some really kind of like out there statements. I mean, he said firmly, he thought that like one of the, the worst things actually, um, with like kind of the diversity and tech movement was the silence of, to quote Dr. Martin Luther King, um, was, um, the silence of the good people. Um, so the fact that people who don't speak up, even though they agree that we should be more diverse than people who keep their mouth shut. And I thought that was really telling that he wants to be more vocal and more verbal. And I'd asked him, so it was, I interviewed him the day before the keynote. And so I asked him, I said, okay, well, you know, I can't help but notice you say, I say, how can we increase diversity in tech? And you say, 
we need to see more people like us, you know, in positions of power. And I said, you know, that's great, but I look on stage at WWDC and I don't see women. I don't see people of color. And um, he said, watch tomorrow. Um, I think you'll be, you'll be surprised. I think you'll be, you'll, I think you'll be happy. And sure enough, you know, Apple for the first time had two women on stage during WWDC. That's, that's uh, putting your money where your mouth is. Definitely, definitely. But it was also cool that I, I it, it, you know, in a very long kind of, you know, larger piece about kind of diversity in tech that I, I got to break a little bit of news to, which I thought was really good. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. And then you got to watch someone dance uh, awkwardly for 35 minutes at the end of what otherwise would have been a great keynote, huh? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I like Dr. Drang's take on that. He did yeah, a, I did a too. Whole post on how that just kind of ruined the keynote. Anyway, it did. I, I mean, yeah, he was talking about kind of a Jimmy Iovine and, and Drake coming out. I thought Drake was fine. I mean, I do think that Drake did try to just kind of lean on his own Drakeness. Yeah, but he, I mean, he that's was fine. unprepared. He was unprepared, but I think he was fine. Jimmy Iovine, it was weird. I think that the Dr. Drang like nailed it. Um, I've seen him speak, and I've actually met him and interviewed him separately before the Beats acquisition. I met him when he was still, you know, when Beats was still a separate company. And, um, and he's, he's a, a really, um, I mean, I've just spoken for a couple of minutes, but I've seen him speak and he is really good in smaller groups and one-on-one. Um, I think that Ian Rogers, who was the CEO of Beats Music and is the head of iTunes radio, I think he would have been a better person to give that presentation because Ian has been doing streaming music since the nineties. He did this thing topspin. Like he was literally doing streaming music in like 97, 98. Um, and, and he gets it and he knows the space and he's really, really sharp and he's also cool. He's got, you know, tattoos and he, he can speak to both groups. I think both young people and, you know, more corporate types really well. Um, but I, I have a feeling I don't have any insider information or anything, but I have a feeling that, you know, they have something like Jimmy and they, Jimmy wanted to speak. And so if Jimmy wants to speak, Jimmy can speak, but I, it didn't, it didn't play to the audience. <laughs> and, and I, and I've met him and I've seen him speak, you know, in smaller groups and he's very good, but it, it didn't play. And, and it, it exasperated, I think kind of the problems happening in the music industry right now and the tech industry. And, and, and it's still 15 years after Napster, we're still at this place where, the music industry still is, it's like they're not facing reality still. Yes. <laughs> they were forced to. They were forced to, but they're still not there. And, and it's, it's sort of frustrating. Um, and, and Jimmy has certainly embraced things better than a lot of other executives have. And, and, and obviously, you know, um, you know, Trent Reznor spoke via a recorded piece and, and, and he was recruited by Jimmy, you know, to, to be a part of Beats. And, and so, you know, Jimmy has really good connections, and, and I think that his a lot of his o- overall visions are good. It just the but the the whole thing just kind of it didn't play well. It didn't play well, and um, it was weird being there in person. Um, kind of, you know, I think Drake came across better in person than he might have over the stream. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of awkwardness, without a doubt. It was kind of like okay, Spotify in in um, you know um, comparison, I think they do a better job of feeling more native to the experience and to the users yeah um at, at their events um yes. you know and I, I think the artists they get and that sort of thing i think they, they do a lot better job now whether that that matters i don't know i, I fundamentally I, I at the end of the day i don't think it does matter i think that just because spotify can put on a better music presentation than apple right now i don't think that means spotify is going to win i think that spotify has a lot of challenges facing it um, including the main fact that they, they're not profitable. I mean, that's their biggest thing. You know, they just raised another huge amount of money, and that's great, and I love Spotify, uh, but they're not profitable. And they're not profitable for a lot of reasons, 
um, mostly that they're having to pay all their money to labels who then are keeping them for themselves and not giving them to other artists, you know, which gets into a whole other broader discussion, whereas Apple... <laughs> then I mean, we're back to the whole original problem with the music industry. Well, that's exactly it. <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, I think that, you know, Apple at least can come in and has so many other sources of revenue. A, I don't think they're going to do anything where they're going to be part of a venture that loses hundreds of millions a year. That's just not their game plan. Um, no. You know, and I think the fact that they're being, you know, paid only goes a long way towards that. So that's that's good on them, right? For the first thing. Second thing is, you know, they have these other revenue streams. Um, one of the nice things, I mean, one of the big advantages I think Apple Music will have, even though from my limited time using it, I don't think the interface is as good as maybe it could be, but I, I don't, it wasn't bad, is the fact that all of your music lives in one place. So even if 1989 isn't part of Apple Music in terms of the streaming service, if you buy the album, it's still going to show up with all of her other albums that maybe you didn't buy. And that, you can that add That is the kind of a big deal. It is. And that's kind of been the holy grail, I think, for a lot of us, you know, is that all of your music, one place. Has Spotify's local music ever worked for you? Yes. On the, on the desktop, it has. I see. I haven't even gotten that to work. I always have to, if I want to listen to my music, I have to run iTunes or Vox. And if I want to listen yeah. to streaming music, I have to open Spotify. Yeah, no, I mean, and it does. It, it works, uh, but but the iTunes Match stuff doesn't because it's got to be downloaded locally. Okay, that's that's where my issue comes from because I use Match heavily. I, I, was, I do too. Ever since the first beta, I've I've loved Match. Even loved since Match. the first time it deleted my entire library, and I had to get in, I, uh, a guy from the Match team jumped into chat with me and worked me through rescuing everything, and <laughs> uh, and it's been flawless for me ever since. I've loved it. Yeah, and the match is actually going to be included as part of Apple Music, which is uh, pretty cool. That is awesome. I think they have a chance if they do it right. They have a a, a flawed history with just about any cloud service, uh, some do. rough rough patches, if you will. Um, but if they do this right, I think it could be a big big shift in the user end of the uh, music industry, and quite likely in the artist side too. Yeah, no, I tend to agree completely. I tend to agree completely. Um, I mean, it, it remains to be seen. Hey, we'll, we'll know, you know, on, on um, June 30th. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll know the initial yay or nay we'll anyway. The, yeah, well, precisely. I mean, I think that, again, I think that's actually the, the brilliant part of them having a three-month trial. I almost feel like that's acknowledgement that it's not going to be ready um, for three months. <laughs> that's I mean, I mean, is that wrong of me to say? No, I don't think so. I mean, because that's, that's, that's genuinely kind of how I feel. I feel it's like, okay, well, th this is acknowledgement they will not be ready for three months, but that's okay. I think that's refreshing after the number of pre premature releases we've seen lately. Yeah. What do you know about Red Bull Records? Um, not a lot. I mean, except that. I mean, you mean the the kind of the, the stuff that Red Bull is doing with with records? No. I, I okay. So I, I like a Wall Nation. Yeah. Um, and uh, I watched a documentary on the Red Bull channel on my Apple TV about them and listen to the head of uh, Red Bull Records tell me about Red Bull Records from his kind of marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I haven't, I, 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 I never even realized there was a Red Bull Records label until then. And I don't know what the actual like industry buzz behind it is, but it sounded like kind of a refreshing a label that came to being in the digital age 
yeah. that accepts more of the modern way that music needs to run. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. Um, I mean, you know, Red Bull is doing a lot of, I guess, what you what we would call um, content marketing. I guess it's kind of the yeah. way to do it, kind of native content marketing. And I think that's part of what the records thing is. I think it's kind of part of what their label is. It's part of what their events are. Like they had something in Austin a couple of weeks ago, you know, where they're doing all of these kinds of extreme sports things. They're doing a lot of things really, I think, to like make themselves more of a lifestyle brand rather than just, you know, um, an energy drink um, to kind of, you know, take the energy drink brand and, and extend it. And I think that's where either where the, the Apple TV channel comes from and, the, and, the, and the, the videos. And then I think obviously the records from that point, too, where they're actually going after artists that they feel like these people, these are the artists that, that appeal to the customers we are trying to cultivate or the people who are part of our community. Well, and they literally handed the keys to the studio over to AWOL Nation for a week, you know, free reign to make a megalithic symphony. And that was, I mean, that's kind of unheard of, that the artist was completely in control with access to all of the resources of the label. That was fun. And then in the documentary, all, almost all of the concert footage they showed prior to the, the big international set was from first avenue in minneapolis which was cool to see that's really cool they that's didn't really label cool. it as such but i immediately recognized but you immediately knew you're like oh i know where this is yeah, i've that's seen awesome. iggy pop and patty smith on that stage and prince yeah that's really cool okay i was just curious if there was like any uh known uh bad news about them i certainly I... haven't heard anything bad i certainly haven't heard anything bad um if anything i've probably heard like better things Cool. Kind of like you have. So. That's refreshing. Actually, there, uh, Red Bull has been ruthless uh, with patent uh, li- uh, litigation, mm-hmm. and that had kind of turned me off for a while, but they are really good at branding, and they're really good at this more um, yeah, lifestyle branding, because, I mean, Red Bull, I don't like Red Bull. Red Bull, the drink, has been surpassed market-wise, as far as I'm concerned. By, by many, like an, a flood of energy drinks that yeah. came after it. Uh, but yeah, like their name is no longer strapped to these cans of uh, cough syrupy caffeine. Oh, and guarine. Um, but it's, uh, they've, they've definitely, they've moved beyond that uh, image, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that was kind of their, I think that's been kind of their goal. Um, they're coming out with their flavors and stuff too, obviously, and, and they're trying. But I think so they kind of realized our energy. I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, Red Bull sends them to me, so I I, I try the Red Bull ones because they they will send me. I'll like get in the mail and I'm like, oh okay, fine, I'll try this. Um, and then drink it really fast and then have like a headache. But yeah, um, can't do that anymore. I know, same. I'm too old. Um, but no, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay. Um, I think that that you're right. I think it's one of those things where they're like, um, yeah now they're really trying to say we're a lifestyle brand and then SeaWorld had to take out massive amount of ad time just to convince people that they actually like the whales they make all their money oh i know i know i know i think that's hilarious how much money SeaWorld is trying to spend on their image rehab campaign it's like we've all seen the movie what was it called black Uh, black 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 blackfish black blackfish yeah yeah and uh horrified i mean what horrified me the most about that film wasn't just the fact that uh it was obviously horrifying, like what what they they kind of the conditions of the animals. But I was really just shocked and appalled by how little training the you know um, trainers have. Yeah. Because I'd always been under the impression that if not marine biologists, that they were like well they were like experts, you know. Yeah. Like you would I always think. figured. 
I thought that they were like more than just people off the street who were like, I like animals. They're like, okay, well, let's just like put you in the pool with, you know, some um, two ton mammals and, and, and let you feed them. I mean, I I genuinely figured that it was one of those things where like you had to have certifications and, and, and a certain amount of education and, and, you know, knowledge. And then just knowing, seeing the trainers didn't going, oh my God, this, this changes everything about my entire perception of this. Yes, it was very damaging, and and it makes sense that they would, um, you know, need to do some image uh, spin on that. But I feel like the whole no, really, we we like whales. I feel like that's kind of a, a last ditch death throws kind of approach. And I'm not saying that they're doomed. I'm just saying that commercial just gives me this really weird perception of their uh, their backroom board meetings at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to know, like, the damage it's had to their bottom line. I mean, I know that people have kind of quantified it, but it, it, it's really kind of uh, fascinating. So, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm not a father. You're not a father. But happy Father's Day to, um, to our dads and to dads everywhere. I have a father. I do have a father as well. I sent him an iTunes gift certificate. I got my dad a book on boating because they are hopefully, knock on wood, getting a boat um, soon. Do you like boats? I do. Do you? Where's the nearest body of water that you can boat on? That I can boat on? Yeah. Long Island? I don't know. Yeah. Hudson yeah. River? I don't know. See, I live. I live in a place with more water than land, and uh, I I don't like boats. I don't like water. I don't. I don't like swimming. I don't. I don't even like. The only water I've ever been in that I really felt comfortable and had a good time in was uh, like Havasupai Falls area inside the Grand Canyon. It's it, crystal clear water. You can see the bottom. You you know what's swimming around your feet. And, but boats just feel like I'm, uh, I'm one fiberglass wall away from drowning in the Mississippi River. <laughs> so my parents live really close to Lake Lanier. Um, which is in North Georgia, north of Atlanta. Um, although they have access to the Mississippi too, I think is my or not the Mississippi, the Chattahoochee, which I think then feeds into the Mississippi. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the boat they're getting, I think, will be coming from um, Jamestown, Rhode Island. So, um, which is near Newport. So. They have to have a surveyor come look at it in. Uh, Rhode Island, and then they have to go up there and, and check stuff out and then have the boat ferried or shipped or however the hell it gets from Rhode Island to Georgia. But um, they're, um, they were going to get a boat a, boat a couple of years ago, and then uh, various uh, uh, calamities happened, and they wound up with a pontoon boat. But with any luck, they will be the owners of a 2004 29 or 30-footer uh, powerboat. So wow. be good. There was yeah. a water skiing festival here yesterday, and there were... Uh, these speedboats with like four motors on the back of them and they were out on the Mississippi the Mississippi River at this time of year does not seem like a place where I would want to do a water skiing show I was gonna say it's a little unpredictable I was gonna say it's a little unpredictable and a little gross too right Uh, no actually our our area of the Mississippi is far enough north that it's actually a beautiful river I mean there's some algae but there's not a lot of like mercury or uh pollution in it uh, but there are these levels of current that shift very rapidly with depth. And you can go from, like, 
being able to stand up to, you know, like eight feet underneath your feet with one step. And uh, you can't predict where the eddies and flows are going to be. It's To me, it's a, a scary proposition. They did really well with it. I, obviously, I don't know anything about it, but I used to have a canoe. I traded it to my brother-in-law for a deck. I now have a deck. You have a deck. I, I, I really like this deck. It's uh, It juts out. Like, I live up on a ridge, and I'm surrounded by forests, and I have a pretty good view of the night sky, but this deck gets me just far enough away from my house that I can see the whole sky over my head and i want to put like a sun chair out there for nighttime and just lay yeah. there because jupiter and venus and the moon were all lined up in the sky last night it was beautiful i yeah i i spent too much time looking at stars <laughs> we should get you a um a telescope especially one that uh maybe hooks up to what, what are those iphone apps like like night sky or dark yeah, sky or whatever i use night sky um but uh there's um, I, Gras, G-R-A-S, uh, went under, out of business, but there's a new one called iTelescope where I can log into telescopes in Australia and, uh, in the, I think UK. And then there's a couple in New Mexico and I can log in at different times of day and use deep space telescopes to take pictures from my computer, which is also very fun. That's really cool. I have some really good pictures I should show you. You should. That's that's awesome. Um, I saw that your uh, your T-shirts were funded. Some of them. Some of them. Or the one. I, the one. How, how many? How many were uh, were funded since we uh, last talked? Three. Three out of five. Okay. And that's I reopened good. the campaigns. I figured I'll just keep them running. I'm not like spending a lot of time pimping them, but yeah, most of them got printed. I was gonna say because I got a printing notice, so I was like, yay. Which one did you get? Did you get the, the anarchy black one? Black. The anarchy one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Me too. Me too. Um, so that's cool. So um, you, you have it here on our list, watch apps of note. That's actually a question. I should have put a question mark on there because I've had are my they- watch for a little while now. And, I've, you know, there are some cool things on it, but I feel like there are probably things it could do that I haven't found yet. Same. So, so what what have you seen that's just the greatest reason to have an Apple watch? Mostly it's the built-in stuff, I have to say, at this point. Yeah, see, I agree. The uh, A lot of the third-party stuff takes too long to load to That's be... That's exactly it. Like, be, if it's on my useful. wrist, if I <laughs> I shouldn't have to hold my wrist up for five no, minutes I to get a Twitter and, and stream. It, precisely. Um, <laughs> the notifications are still, I think, my killer feature. And I think maps, you know, directions, I think, are still my killer feature. Um, I do like City Mapper a lot for Apple Watch, okay. uh, which is an alternative kind of transportation app, and, and um, it works really well. And I like workflow, some of the workflow yes. stuff I like. Yes, actually, I have, uh, I have set up buttons on my watch for, uh, so from glances, I can turn lights on and off in groups around my house. Nice. Now I just need better proximity detection. Okay, here's, here's a slightly related question. Have you ever seen, you, you don't drive, do you? I don't. So I'm looking for an app that is that can measure the speed, my speed in the car, and adjust volume appropriately. And there are several that claim to do this, and none that seem to do it well. Doesn't seem like it should be that hard. No, it doesn't. That seems no. That that's yeah. That seems like that'd be a pretty simple thing to be able to kind of do. Um, but I do like music control on my watch I, in the car. I do too. 
I like yeah. that it works with Spotify, too. I like that it works with all the music apps. It works with Spotify. Um, I mean, Overcast obviously has its own app, but any of the podcasting apps, you know, if it's going through the official music thing, works, which yep. is super nice. Um, I'm looking forward to native apps, you know, coming to the Apple Watch. I think that that's the biggest thing it kind of needs. And I'm not... Is, I, it, I'm, is, it, is that going to happen, though? Because it yes. doesn't seem like the OS was really designed... It seems like everything in the SDK was kind of built to work with the iPhone, not so much. So you want with... to know my theory? Yeah. Okay, so my theory is this. My theory is that the watch was late. My theory is that the watch was maybe originally supposed to be released last fall. And it was pushed back for whatever reason. And when it was released, it was released with WatchKit, which was kind of like a bridge between you know, having support for third-party apps, yeah. and then this this watchOS 2, which they've clearly been working on for a long time. Because sitting in the, through the sessions at WWDC, looking at some of the demos and the things that they showed off at the keynote, and then sitting through some of the sessions, it's very clear that they've had this stuff in the works for a long time. And to me, it seems like, okay, but this is weird. Like, why would you release something with, like, uh, an SDK, like, in, in, you know, in March? And then, you know, your, your watch comes out in April. Why would you um, then, two months later announce a brand new SDK and a brand new watch OS that's going to be out in the fall. Uh, um, why, 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 why wouldn't you just go directly to that watch OS two stuff? So to me that says, okay, this other thing was, was the watch was late. And as a result, we're only going to have a very brief period of time where some of this watch kit stuff is the primary interface stuff. And that m moving forward, the goal will be for developers to learn how to create, you know, native apps um, that are, not very resource intensive, but won't have to. That way, you can get away with the having to pull back and forth between Bluetooth, between yeah. the watch and the phone, and 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 launch way better. That would be so. Um, that would change my mind. Right now, I'm I'm I like it as an accessory. Same. I found but like for, yeah interesting. But like, yeah, but like for instance, the the activity monitor and the health kit stuff will be available in watchOS too. So third party apps will be able to actually take advantage of that stuff, which is killer and which right. is necessary. The fact that you can't do it now kind of puts anybody who's wanting to make a fitness app in a weird position. But if in September you can, then that changes things. And I think it changes the watch tremendously. Well, and overall, like the WWDC announcements about the new OS for the watch and everything, were, I was very, overall, I was really excited about this Same. WWDC, actually. Same. I was really glad that they were focusing more on like cleaning up um, iOS and OS X. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think that obviously more stuff is coming to iOS, especially on the iPad side. Uh, I, I have been on record as saying I did not believe that they were going to do an iPad Pro. Now I firmly believe they're doing an iPad Pro just because of the split screen stuff. Right. Like well, to it, me, that's, that's so clear. They're actually pushing it to a point where I consider it a viable work machine now. Yeah. I know no, like I Vitici, Federico Vitici has, has been working on an iPad he for has. years now, but I, I couldn't still, do it. I still don't think that for either of us, we could make it our full work machine. I think don't it's think heading that could. direction, though. I do, too. But for both of us, we do things that are too complex, especially you with your coding stuff. Like, there's just, there's... Yeah, it, a, it's a, not there. an iPad cannot replace the three 27-inch monitors I'm looking at right now. Right. And, and for me, you know, I have too many custom things. And I do too many, you know, have too many things going at once and, and the way I need to edit stuff. I mean, I know Federico is able to do it for his workflow and that's genius. And I love that he can. Me, because I work for a site that 
is with, you know, hundreds of other people rather than just a small team that I can kind of dictate and control, you know, my own CMS workflow. I don't have that luxury of being able to say, oh, I could build tools, you know, around a workflow that, that can publish the way I need to publish. It wouldn't work. I did um, get a new Logitech keyboard that it has like a slot where you can rest an iPad or an iPhone yes. at an angle. And then it yeah, has a, a switcher. Yes. So I can flip it from my so cool. iPhone to my iPad to my Apple TV. Yeah. And it's become like my ta- my uh, coffee table keyboard. I like it. No, I love Logitech for that. I love the fact that all the Bluetooth keyboards, especially that the Mac ones, have like two or three, you know, um, a Bluetooth uh, thing. So you can go between devices. I love yeah. that. I love it. Um, no, and that's really cool. And I do love that the new version of, of iOS will have the application switcher uh, commands and, the, sh- and yeah. the keyboard shortcuts. When I saw key bindings, like during the keynote, I was like, <laughs> Brett's going to love this. I'm like, I was pretty talking excited, about it. Yeah. I was like, that's that's so Brett. Um, no, but I, but I, I, I get the distinct feeling. And again, I have no inside information, but I feel like the watch was delayed and that as a result, the big, we're seeing this, this bigger jump in watch OS two than maybe we would have expected to see because the, the software was already on the roadmap. But I feel like I really like that they are focusing more on making iOS and OS 10 better. Um, but then, uh, watch OS, which really needs a lot of love is getting it like big time. Awesome. I like your theory. So on this topic, we have a couple of movies we do have to talk about, but I want to bring up the uh, the exploits that were revealed. The uh, yeah, coined the Zara uh, Zara. study research. Jeez, yeah, that was um, that was kind of a big deal for especially I think people like me who have always stuck by the idea that Apple was secure, like nobody else in the industry but these exploits which are based around things like url handlers and bundle ids which date back all the way through you know the the history of os 10 they were things that were built on top of it so that apple could do the things that it does but they are legacy systems but the fact that they still exist on both ios and on os 10 and that they are so exploitable is it's scary. I, I'm I'm on the verge of feeling horribly let down. I have utter utmost faith that this problem will be resolved, but it's Same. going to take time. Apple's had six months and we didn't see a full solution at WWDC because they could have headed off the problem. They could have like this never had to come to light, but they weren't able to. I have to assume that they fell short of it. We saw that they um, they began clamping down on the URL schemes on iOS. The yes. apps now have to declare what they're able to call, which in general is fine for apps like Workflow and and uh, uh, Editorial and Pythonista and like and Launch Center Pro. Yeah, like for those apps, that could be that could be a big uh, candy cap unless something else is provided soon. There is can open URL. I think um, is is something that they can use. But can they, don't they still have to declare what they I think can some of open? The stuff, I think some of the stuff they do, maybe they don't have to declare for each of those. Um, somebody, the um, uh, David uh, Barnard's uh, yeah. uh, colleague was at WWDC and was asking questions in the labs. And it looks like those apps will be okay. It looks like that issue was actually separate from the Zara issue. It looks like that issue was mostly because Twitter, amongst other apps, but primarily Twitter, was taking liberties to figure out what apps were installed on your phone yeah. and then reporting that back. Right, which was and, a privacy issue. Which is a huge privacy issue. So way to go, Twitter. Way to, way to like ruin things for everyone. <laughs> so Apple's like, no, 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 no. This is not okay. 
we are going to clamp down on this. And then the, the side effect of that is that if people were trying to exploit, you know, potential bugs and, and, and get into other, you know, encrypted parts of the system using, you know, URL schemes, this would minimize that too. The thing that was uh, most serious to me was the fact that these researchers claimed they were able to get an app through yes. the review process and onto the app store that could exploit these weaknesses. Yes, that's what bothers me. That's what bothers me. And then it was able to go into the containers of other apps. Mm-hmm. I'm not as bothered by, especially after reading the response from 1Password, who I thought were great about it. I thought the Agile Bits guys it's always were really, really uh, transparent. Yeah, let me say right now that the fact that they are so smart combined with the fact that they're always so honest about these threats has always just made me feel very comfortable being a customer Same. of theirs. Same. And and I and even though I wrote an article that was kind of flippant that was like if password managers can be hacked, is anything safe? My flip response was kind of like, shoot, you know, just write everything down. That obviously isn't what I recommend. I recommend people use a password manager. Primarily I recommend using one password. I will continue to recommend one password. It costs See, money, the, it's great. The the weakness is that if these apps succeed in hijacking, you know, the various schemes, yes. they, they can then access the keychain, which, well, that's is, what which me. will exactly. store every login you use, like in a web browser. Yes. If you say, yeah, save this login, they could then steal that. Right. No, which is really bothersome. And, and so that's why I said that bothers me more than the 1Password, maybe hijacking the daemon, you know, 1Password mini and, and being able to, to see the fill in stuff and, and work like a keylogger would. That's... You know, but what bothers me about that is the fact that any of this stuff could get through the Mac App Store. The yeah. fact that these apps could could come about and be installed, be malicious, fine. But <laughs> the they fact be... that we as developers work so hard to get through this review process right. and then find and then out it's a... not working. Well, right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's one thing if you know uh, this this you know app is not signed by a developer. Do you want to you know you can't install it, having to right click and, and click open and install yeah. anyway. That's fine. If you've got to go through those steps to yeah. install something and it takes and hijacks your system, okay, SOL. You know what yeah, I'm your saying? Yeah, f- your fault. Exactly. But if it gets through the Mac App Store and you know that the sorts of apps that they would be hidden in, be stuff like, you know, Facebook menu bar or Gmail yeah. menu bar or emoji this or get more How Instagram are those followers. apps always in the top 10 too? Exactly. So it would be that sort of stuff. You can just imagine somebody being, you know, with, with a little bit of smarts and having something like that. But that sort of stuff had have one of those like menu bar apps. Oh my god! And now it can go. Not only can they hijack your passwords, but then they could send it off places. I mean, like it's a really scary thought. It makes me go, "What is going on, Apple?" And it bothers me that I reached out for comment. A lot of people reached out for comment. They finally responded to iMore, and I think they said that eight point four will will have some things in it to help mitigate these issues. But it's like. That's yeah. not good enough. Renee's, Renee's piece about Apple's response was, it was a, uh, an important read in this conversation, I think. Um, I will link. He's had two posts now. But yeah, um, yeah I, I think that even security savvy people up until this point have assumed that installing it from the Mac App Store was a safe proposition. And exactly. I'd hate to see that go away. I'd hate I, to that, feel that, that like it was the away. Android store again. No, it, it can't go away, frankly. You know, I mean, because if it does, then what's this, all these rules and sandboxing and all these other things, they've, all these constraints they put in for developers, it's like, what was the point? Yes, it, that it, it is a frustrating proposition. But I'm, I'm, I am, as always, a, a wait and see kind of person. I will take my precautions until I do see that it goes one way or the other. I hate to think of the idea that at some point in the future, everything goes to hell and I have to like, 
redesign my blog to delineate the Apple part of my life from whatever comes next. Let's hope that does not happen. Dude, you're not going to go to Linux. Like, that's no, just not I'm not happen. saying I am. <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do. You wouldn't honestly. go to Windows. Nope. So you're going to stay with Mac and just we've got to put the pressure on Apple to like make it better and be as good as we know they can be. I'm going to go back to OS 9. Ha. Huh. I'm oh going to go back God. to Next. I'm going to run a Next box here. Okay. Jesus. So, okay, movies. I, uh, I think... First, I want to mention that I went to see Jurassic World last night. You've seen it? I have. I did not see the point of the movie. And I, I understand that it's, you know, it's supposed to be fun. But there were so many things about it that I, I don't know, like, they didn't learn. Like, the, the overriding story was, you know, people messing with nature and it going wrong. And I think that was told pretty well in the first one. And yeah. so they just did it bigger and more disastrously in the second one. And they had to have a Tyrannosaurus Rex beat. I shouldn't spoil. Uh, no spoilers. But it did. Uh, it really bothered me that after their previous experience with Jurassic Park, they had failed to... Uh, in. All, the biggest weapon they had on the island in the case of disaster was like 150 cal in a helicopter that they crashed immediately. And then they were stuffed with like shock rods and maybe the occasional like AK. And it just did not seem like they had prepared for this eventuality when they were creating the biggest dinosaur ever to have roamed the earth. <laughs> did, did you, you said you had fun with it. Yeah. What, I thought it was fun. Did none of those things bother you at all? No. So I'm I'm a dick for saying it. No, I just I I I had to think about things from like I just I was it was fun. I it was a popcorn movie. I didn't overthink it. I did have good popcorn. Uh, the the theater had an unusually good popcorn that night. Well, that's really important. I, it is when you're when you okay. So, so I I did I did walk out smiling. I will, I will give it that. It was a fun movie. Like, look, if I start to think about all the things you're saying, then yes, I'm bothered. But in the moment, I'm like, no, it's a freaking, it's, it's, a, it's Chris Pratt fighting that. It's awesome. It's, it's a fun movie. All right. I can go with that. I, I mean, like, Furious 7, I walked out furious. But, yeah, this one I walked out. I walked out smiling, shaking my head a little bit, but. Right. But at a certain point, I almost feel like, like if we're going to go and expect, like, that, like, much well, see, I think they could have just had a, a missile silo on the island set to shoot a, a nuke straight up in the air and then drop it back on itself in case of, you know, like it, it would be literally the nuclear option. Evacuate everybody and then just blow the island up. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, but I also just feel like maybe at a certain point, like, I would love to see you write the sequel to Jurassic World is what I'm saying. See, I just don't feel there needs to be one, especially not without Goldblum. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a fun kind of reboot. I thought it was kind of a fun like way to kind of pay homage to what was there before, but also like make it new and make it different. I mean, so it was part of a franchise, but yet it felt like a, a new thing. I, I did appreciate the one pan shot where they had the, I can't remember exactly how they framed it, but they created the logo from yeah. Jurassic Park as the, the giant dinosaur reared its head up. And yeah. it was, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the other movie I wanted to talk to you about is Spy, which I have not seen. It's but awesome. I, Tell me, tell me what uh, what I'm in for there. 
So I saw it at CinemaCon, um, so I saw it like two months before it came out, and um, it's hilarious. It is a true action movie. Um, Paul Feig, who directed it, he also directed uh, Bridesmaids and The Heat, and he's one of the co-creators of uh, Freaks and Geeks, and just uh, a really great guy. Um, he said that he didn't want to create like a, a spoof of an action movie or spy movie. He wanted to create like an actually good spy movie, and he did. It reminds me a ton of um, kind of a Get Smart yeah. In that Get Smart was a spoof in some ways because obviously, you know, the TV show was a spoof and it was based on the TV show. Right. But it was also still like a really good spy movie in its own right. And this is like that. It's really, really funny. Melissa McCarthy is hilarious. Rose Byrne is hilarious. Jason Statham is hilarious. That's Jude so Law, good to hear. So funny. Statham needs a, needs a shot in the arm. His career oh, needs a shot in the arm right now. Oh, he is so funny in it. And and, and Rose Byrne is, is a villain and she's great. And Jude Law, like everybody plays against type, which is what makes it so brilliant. And the physicality is fantastic. The stunts are good. Um, the, the the twists that come, you know, it feels like a real spy movie and it's really, really funny, but it's also really like engaging. And it's, I, I had a really strong kind of feminist point of view without beating you over the head with it. Like you like feel like it's awesome that the, the, the people who are at the center of it are the people at the center of it. Like people play against type, you know, like Statham is kind of this bumbling guy like everybody sees him as being like the super agent he sees himself right. as being the super agent but he's kind of incompetent that's good to hear and 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 melissa mccarthy you know she's this handler where she's basically like the eyes the partner for the good looking guy played by jude law and he gets uh something happens to him at the beginning of, of the film when she has to step in and be an agent herself which you know she's gone through fbi tra training or a cia training or whatever you know she's gone through the academy but she's never actually you know she's always been on the call center and it's very funny to see her then out in the real world. And uh, no, it's a really, really funny movie. I really enjoyed it. Can't say enough good things about it. Um, Rose Byrne, again, just so funny. I really enjoy her. And uh, I mean, Melissa McCarthy is obviously the star and, and, and does so many good things. But, but Rose Byrne, really, really, really funny and, and in a way that I was not expecting her to be. Um, and Jason Statham, who I, I truly haven't been that huge of a fan of. I like was like in love with him in it. And, and Jude Law, too. Just the fact that everybody played was willing to like play against type and have fun. I mean, that's you watch it and you're like, everybody had fun making this movie. And then they have like good action sequences, which, you know, to me, you can't miss like that. Uh, to me, I think spy and I think um, inside out uh, the new Pixar film are two of my favorite movies so far this summer. Both, both movies I plan to see in the next couple weeks. Um, yeah. Inside I, out is fantastic. I had it, never seen uh, the heat. Yeah. Until this week, actually, I I was looking for something on Netflix to watch on a night I was bored, and I I passed that one, and my wife said, "Oh, that one's really good." But I had I had just I had skipped over it uh, for previously for years because I thought it would be dumb, but it was not. I absolutely laughed the entire time. It she uh, Melissa McCarthy was amazing. She was. It, it completely like. My opinion of her has always been good, but not like she's a master. But after that, I was in love with her. Yeah, no, she's a that master. I think, I, think she, I think she was really good in that. You know, Sandra Bullock was good. Um, it's, uh, it's a weird movie for her. You know, I mean, she's done the comedy thing before, and she can obviously be very funny. You know, um, uh, uh, what was uh, Miss Congeniality? You know, she, she does yeah. that. She's, she's funny. But it's, it's a Melissa McCarthy movie. I thought that Spy was even better. I thought that Spy really took all the aspects of of what it made heat really good and like just really like amped it up even more so no i'm excited because um, uh, so yeah because sandra bullock makes a great straight man to straight woman yeah to to melissa's kind of almost slapstick but over the top humor 
like they though that combination worked really well in the heat uh so yeah i'm i'm excited to see spy yeah yeah rose Byrne kind of has that role in this one but it's a little bit different and she's still over the top and ridiculous and and melissa mccarthy but she's the villain calls her out on it very much so and, 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 and they're back and forth it's very funny um i think everybody in 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 spy was a lot more it felt more comfortable with with just both this this the but the willing to, willingness to be silly and to kind of be like over the top that maybe Sandra Bullock did. Awesome. So I yeah I like the heat, but if you like the heat, you'll, if you like bridesmaids, you'll really like. If you like Get Smart, if you like those types of movies, you'll really like Spy. And Inside Out is just I mean, um, it's uh the open it has an opening sequence that is very similar to that of Up, which makes sense since it's a P Doctor the the guy who directed Up and um. I, I, I cried. I cried like a little girl. Everybody cried. It's a great movie, and it's amazing how well, you know, a guy in his 40s is able to get inside the head of, like, his 11-year-old daughter. That's how the movie came about, was that they noticed that his daughter, who was 11, was kind of going through changes, and they were like, what's going on inside her head? And so they did a lot of research into brain chemistry, into, you know, emotions, into, you know, uh, parts of the brain, and how um, these sorts of sensors work, and, and what happens, and um, wrote this amazing story that has a lot of heart, and is really makes you think and is funny and it's endearing and it's like the best aspects of what Pixar does. Like it's up there with, you know, it's, it's like, it's like an up Wally finding Nemo, you know, that sort of like great Pixar film. Awesome. I'm excited. Oh, th- this, this has been a really uh, mega mix of tech and entertainment. It has. And it's even been, a crossover. Yes. We're dude. This is like, this is some classic, this is some OG overtired. Is what this is <laughs> without suicide talk. Without suicide talk, oh my god! Wow. <laughs> so I it's do like, want to—it's like an uplifting one. I do want to mention two, rather rather than uh, sponsors, which we may be dropping in in post. But I do want to mention two GoFundMe campaigns that I think yeah. everyone should take a look at. Uh, the first one is the App Camp for Girls campaign. Uh, they obviously they got some exposure at WWDC. Uh, a lot of people respect what they're doing, but they're they're running. A little tight on funding this year, and uh, you can help out by going to indiegogo.com slash projects slash app camp for girls three dash O. I'll put the link in. It's a it's a inconvenient link to tell to say, but uh, but definitely, you know, go pitch in there. It's a very worthy cause doing some very important work. And the so other important. one. Yes, I'm sorry. I should let you talk. No, I was just going to say App Camp for Girls is amazing. What Jean and, and the whole team that are doing is amazing. You know, I got to spend some time with her at WWDC, and I just respect the hell of what they're doing, and it's so important. So, yes, please, please fund them on Indiegogo because they, you know, they want to get bigger and do more. And it's really and there are some great, too. great user stories there now. Now that they've been doing it for a few years, you can actually see what it is that they do and, and the kind of girls that are attending and... And and the outreach in general. So yeah, definitely go check that out. And then uh, Molly Holschlag, who's been a guest on Systematic and is to me a very important figure in the entire so creation of the open web and the web itself. Um, she's her her health issues have been going on go, been ongoing for a while, and uh, and her insurance situation is getting dire, and she's very. Uh, she she needs all of our help, so um, I would definitely like people to go take a look at GoFundMe.com slash ThanksMalls, all one word. Um, but yeah, I think I think that if you are going to 
help someone, help an individual out. She has done more to help all of us and to help herself through this. She's not, this isn't an open plea, come save me. She has done everything she no. can and she's in a rough spot, so. She's an amazing person and and I I love Molly. Molly is just an amazing person. She's helped the open web in so many ways and people, I, I've only met her in person once and she was just so lovely and so welcoming and just made me feel so good and she's done so much that anything we as a community can do to help her I think is so important. And uh, health, health allowing, she will be back on Systematic soon for part two. Um, we're looking forward to that, but it will all depend on how things are going when we can schedule it. But, all right, so on that note, on, depending on everyone's generosity, I think we should, uh, we should wrap up. Yeah, I think so. That was pretty much exactly an hour, wasn't it? Yeah, that was close. That was right, right at an hour. Perfect. I wish I could go get some sleep now, but I have a huge amount of Angular JS to code out today. Well, then you need to do that for sure, and I need to so I need to go uh, watch Jaws. <laughs> what, like fortieth, twentieth? What anniversary 40th. is it? Fortieth anniversary. The fortieth anniversary of Jaws is this weekend. How so old excited. am I then? Oh, I turn thirty-seven next month. Yeah, I was gonna say. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Well, enjoy Jaws. And, uh, and you can tell me why it still matters to you after 40 years next time? Yeah, next time I'll, I'll go into my diatribe about why Jaws matters. Sounds great. Awesome. All right. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everybody. And uh, back um, at Camp for Girls. And uh, thanks, Molly, because we, we, we need to support women in tech and, and women people. Just people who do good stuff. We, we need to, as a community, get back. So Absolutely. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low. Thanks again to Backblaze for supporting this episode of Overtired. Go to backblaze.com/overtired to support the show.